Church, I, I love you. I will tell you that many times over, over the course of this sermon. So, But let us get to Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Let me read the scripture for you, and then we'll pray. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that has given these things from the, has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning as blessed children. Those who have received the blessing of knowing who Christ is of having their eyes opened, their ears open to see and to hear the beauty of your Son. But Father, I pray that you would even help us this morning because reality is, Lord, that we are weak. Reality is, Father, that we need your constant help for us to be able to grasp and see and enjoy and be satisfied by who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be doing this this morning, that you would be blessing us as you open the eyes of our hearts and our ears to the wonderful truths of your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, family, friends, as you guys can imagine, this is one of the most joyous days of my life. And um, all this week, God has 
been reminding me of his steadfast love towards me throughout the years. He's, he's reminded me of the years prior to my conversion and how he protected me from death and destruction. He's reminded me of the little church in East Hialeah where he, by his sovereign pleasure, called my name and my ears for the very first time heard his beautiful voice. He's reminded me of the many people who, whom he's brought close to me and whom he's used to pour out his blessings upon me. He's reminded me of the last Sunday in December of 2003 where he led me and two of my closest brothers and my wife-to-be by my side through the doors of this school and right into the life of this precious church. It's been eight years. Eight years, church. And I stand here this morning, and it is, it is difficult for me to be able to contain the joy that I feel as I marvel in amazement of what God has done. God has surpassed all my expectations. He has given me more than I could ever ask for. But church, I wish I could tell you, I wish I could promise you that all our days will be like today. I wish I could assure you that as long as you follow Christ, all the things that you set out to do, all your expectations, all your joys will be met. I wish I could assure every believer here that your walk with Christ will be one that is absent from pain and suffering and disappointments. I wish I could assure every couple here that your marriages will never go through hardships and conflicts. I wish I could assure every parent that your child will grow up respecting you and loving Christ. But I can't promise you these things because Jesus himself didn't promise them. See, the reality is that what Jesus did promise is that this world we would be on, this world that he has commissioned us to, this world would be filled with tribulations. And church, I know that we all at some point and in two various degrees have experienced these. You see, the joy that we experience this morning, the joy that we experience today has not been absent of many times throughout the years where we have held one another in tears. The joy we experience today has not been absent of many times of rejections and sufferings and conflicts and lost ones and of unmet expectations. We have labored together and we have seen wonderful things that the Lord has done. But the successes we have experienced have not come to us absent of hardship and at times disappointments. And so as much as we look forward to what God is going to do through the ministries of Palm Vista Community Church and the ministries of Sovereign Grace Church Miami... I believe that the Lord through this text would want to remind our hearts of the basis of our joy. 
He would want to remind us of where our joy lies. He wants to protect our joy from the threat of suffering and from the threat of success. And that brings up this question. Well, why would our joy need protection? Well, I want you to think of our joy as a boat. A boat in the middle of the ocean. And there are two different currents that are crash, crashing into this boat. One current is the current of suffering. And the other current is the current of success. And if our joy is not anchored on something solid, then it will be a slave to the tyranny of both currents. Our joy needs protection. Our joy needs an anchor, a basis that goes beyond any of our circumstances and expectations. And this is crucial for us to understand Sovereign Grace Church of Miami. This is crucial for us to understand Palm Vista Community Church. It is crucial because our hearts are filled with expectations. Our hearts are filled with desires. Our hearts are filled with plans and hopes and ambitions as churches. Ambitions that God himself has given us. I like to think of it this way. I like to think of it like a newlywed couple just sitting down and dreaming, dreaming of all the kids that they would have, dreaming of all the careers that they would have, dreaming of the home that they would buy, dreaming of all these things that God has placed in their hearts, all these desires, all these expectations. Well, that is where we've been, right? That is where we've been the past year. But today is the day where reality hits. Today is the day when the rubber meets the road. Today is the day where we look ahead. Will Sovereign Grace Church Miami make it? Will the community of Westchester receive us and respond to our message? Will Palm Vista Community Church recuperate from sending out this team? Will Miami Lakes respond to the message that Palm Vista Community Church brings? You see, we gather together not knowing the answers of these questions and many others. But we gather in faith, trusting God and with great expectations. Like newlyweds on the day of their wedding. Now, as many of you know, my wife and I are going on eight years of marriage. And we look back and we say, wow, God, God has been so good. He has done so much. And we rejoice in amazement. But what if in our marriage, many things that we desired would have never come to be? Would we still rejoice? Let me tell you about a couple. Let me tell you about a couple that I know. This couple has been married for 12 years. I still remember their wedding day. 
Two young lovebirds passionate about everything and with many dreams before them. One of their greatest dreams is to have children. And after 11 years of trying with much prayer unsuccessfully, they committed to putting themselves through, through several examinations. And after weeks of these, a few months ago, the doctor told them both that there were health issues in both of them that were impending them to be pregnant. Now this couple has, they have shed many tears over this. And I wish I could lie to you, church, and say that, that it didn't affect their joy. But we're not, you know, we're not robots, right? We're human. So it did affect. But I can also tell you that this brother, with tears in his eyes, has looked at me, and he has been able to say to me, bro, the only thing that keeps me going is that throughout all my disappointments, throughout all my unmet expectations in my life, I know one thing. He loves me. He sustains me. If there's one reason for me to live is that I know, I know, I know that I'm his. And friends, this is what this text is about. This is what Jesus, through these words, is reminding a group of 72 of his followers and what he on this glorious day filled with joy and rejoicing and wanting for us, is wanting for us to grasp. He wants us to know that there is joy that is invincible. A joy that is sustaining and everlasting, that is not grounded on whether our expectations are met or not. Or whether Sovereign Grace Church of Miami or, P or Palm Vista Community Church are successful in the eyes of men or not. There is joy that can withstand the crashing currents of suffering and not be misplaced by the crashing current of success. What is that joy? Where can we find that kind of joy? So, that is the driving question for us this morning, church. That is going to drive this text as we get into it. So, let's, let's work on that driving question. Let's, let's put it together. Let, let's, let's say it like this, okay? Sovereign Grace Church, Miami. Palm Vista Community Church, in the midst of the work of ministry and facing the future that God has called us to, what is the basis of our joy? How can our joy be everlasting, steadfast joy? And Jesus will answer this for us by showing us two types of joy. And these two types will serve us this morning as the two points of this message, okay? So point number one, we will see the vulnerable joy of the disciples. And in point number two, we will see the invincible joy of Jesus. So let's look at point number one in verses 17 through 19. Let's read those verses again. It says like this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, it is difficult 
for us from our vantage point to imagine there being any lack of joy on behalf of the 72. You see, as they went out to proclaim the gospel from city to city, they saw certain things. And so they come back with joy. So we get the vantage point of seeing when they come back. But what about when they left? Did they leave with joy? Now, did they leave the way that Sovereign Grace Church Miami is leaving? I mean, they must have been excited, right? They must have been super joyous. They must have been excited just as our church plan is. I mean, just to give you an idea of how excited our church plan is, okay? Yesterday, our church plan team, along with many wonderful folks from here, from Palm Vista Community Church, came together, we worshipped, we prayed, and then we broke into groups to go into the streets of Westchester and reach out to the community. And, And as we did that, we had 55 of you show up. And we blanketed the area with prayer and flyers and door hangers. It was a great time, toughed off with a great lunch. You know what I like to eat. So we received quite a few great responses and even a phone call from someone and an email from another family. So if we're excited, this group must have been super excited. Right? Hmm. Well, I want you to think about this, okay? Think of how you would have felt if you were sent out. And instead of having all the comforts that we enjoyed yesterday, you are sent out having just been told these things. You are sent out having just been told that you are being sent out as lambs among wolves. In verse 3 of chapter 10. Imagine you are being sent out and you are told that there would be no provisions For you to take. Imagine you are being sent out and you are told that those who would that there would be those who would receive your message, but that many would reject it. In fact, whole towns would reject it. Imagine you were told that you needed to eat whatever you were served. I mean, this command here alone would make some of us reconsider on the mission, right? I mean, I'd probably say, Al, I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) If we were honest, we would have to say that going out under these circumstances would have been less than desirable. I would have gone out with my knees knocking, expecting to be rejected often, and wondering where I might stay, and what, if anything, am I going to eat? It makes our church plan seem pretty easy, right? Now, on top of this, the text doesn't tell us how long they had been followers of Jesus, but we can presume that they had at least been with him long enough to have seen the failure of the original disciples, the 12th, in Luke chapter 9. Okay, you could turn there. In in chapter 9, verse 1, we see that he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons. Okay, but in verse 37 of the same chapter, we see Jesus descending from the Mount of Transfiguration 
to find a man crying out to him, begging him to cast out a demon from his only child because he had come to Jesus' disciples and he was begging them to do it, but they couldn't do it. And so what we see in chapter 10 is a group of disciples who are being sent out. Practically in the Greek is saying that they are being kicked out. They are being pushed out under not so pleasant, not so favorable circumstances. They are not just making a small sacrifice of leaving some friends and family members behind or changing the route to take to church on Sundays. They are being sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen a video where a lamb actually is able to fight off a wolf. (laughs) If you find a video like that, please let me know. I'll come over and watch it. The point is, my friends, that as these 72 disciples were saying goodbye to one another, there must have been many uncertainties in their hearts. There must have been fears and doubts. They were completely dependent on God. They have seen rejection. rejection. They have seen hatred. They have seen those who are plotting to destroy Jesus. They have seen the A-team, the 12, fail. And yet they head out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So before before we make a mistake and judge their joy as being misplaced or circumstantially shallow, we need to realize that under such difficult a mission, a mission described by Jesus himself as a suicidal mission, it is easy to understand why they're rejoicing when they come back. 72 lambs went out in the midst of wolves and not one was lost. Their joy was reasonable. Their joy was understandable. Their joy was righteous. And I labor to make this point because we can easily continue to read the verses that follow their proclamation of joy and view Jesus' words to them as a rebuke. We can easily judge these disciples and wrongly conclude that their joy was inappropriate. Especially our cessationist friends can just gladly point out how ridiculous these disciples rejoicing is. But it's not ridiculous. It is proper. The issue that Jesus is about to address here is not that their joy is inappropriate or improper. The issue is that their joy is vulnerable. The Lord's desire is not to rebuke them for rejoicing in what they have experienced. In fact, the very first thing Jesus does is he confirms their joy and he reaffirms the mighty work they they have done in his name. Look at verse 18 and 19. Let's read it. It says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, I know many would see verse 18 as as like figurative speech concerning not the actual ministry of the disciples in his name, but either the casting out of Satan from the heavenly realm prior to Jesus' incarnation, 
But I would argue that just as the incarnate Jesus was able to see things in the spiritual realm, even in his humanity, it is possible that what Jesus was describing as seeing was not something that happened at some point in eternity past, but it was actually something he saw at the time of their ministry. Lightning graphically depicts a power of dazzling brilliance that is suddenly snuffed out. Jesus, I believe, had seen Satan snuffed out by the power works of his followers. What Jesus is doing is he is affirming their proclamation of victory in his name. They are static about everything they were able to do in his name. And the very pinnacle of what they were able to do is found in their words. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus is saying to them, guys, I know. I know. Yes. Trust me. I know. I've seen it with my own eyes. In fact, the, not only did I see it with my own eyes, I was the very one who gave you the authority to do it. Look at verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You see, Jesus is actually rejoicing himself. And one word in this sentence actually reveals this to us, and that is the very first word in the sentence. Behold. See, every time the Lord uses this word, he uses it. As a word of emphasis to describe something of great blessing or of great despair. But the emphasis here is that he's conforming the joy of the disciples by by affirming the good news that, that in Christ, his power enables us to trample on snakes and scorpions. Biblical symbols of evil. See, in Christ, Satan is defeated. In Christ, we have authority and protection from the works of the enemy. And this was and is certainly something to rejoice about. But as fast as Jesus looks to encourage his disciples, he also looks to moderate his disciples' joy. So look at verse 20. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, why does the Lord say such a thing? Is Jesus a killjoy? Is Jesus a party pooper? Is he saying, boys, I want you to wipe out that smirk off your face and stop smiling and laughing and being happy about all the demons you casted out? Of course not. The first word of this verse, I think, reveals to us what really is going on here. Jesus says, nevertheless, or like in other translations, however, it is a word of transition. Jesus is, he's transitioning from rejoicing with them to wanting to protect their joy. Remember when I told you our joy needs protection? Well, here's a perfect example of vulnerable joy. Just as Jesus could see and rejoice in the victory they experienced by the power of his name, he could also see that their joy was vulnerable and being misplaced by the currents of their success. Now, let me illustrate this for you, okay? 
I have three kids, as, you, as so many of you know, and um, a sermon doesn't go by where illustrations about my kids don't come up. I mean, they're, they're just a great source of illustrations, right? Um, now, my wife has designed a daily list of tasks for our kids. Uh, things from uh, brushing your teeth to making their beds uh, to folding their clothes. Now, of course, not every task on the list gets done every day. And, and we need to balance between just understanding that we are finite and unable to get everything done every day. I mean, we are not God. And at the same time, making them accountable to their disobedience. So Isabel, my oldest daughter, uh, often gets her tasks done. And at times comes running up to mommy and daddy to tell us with great joy that she was able to get everything on the list done. Now, it would really stink if when she came to us, we would just say to her, why are you so joyous? Stop rejoicing. I mean, that would be straight out ridiculous, right? We don't do that. But what we do is we say, honey, that is wonderful. You know, daddy is so happy that you are able to get everything done. But you know what? You know what daddy is really happy about? Daddy is happy that you are my daughter. You see, we do this because, because we want her joy to be grounded on something much greater than the execution of her tasks. And that is what Jesus is doing here in this text. He, ha- he was not saying they should s- stop rejoicing in spiritual you know, power and, and casting out demons. He's not saying that. But there is a primary re- rejoicing, a rejoicing that takes precedence over this one. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, that is awesome. I rejoice with you. In fact, I was rejoicing myself as I watched Satan fall down like lightning. I rejoiced in the authority that I gave you to overcome the evil works of the enemy and in protecting you from harm. However, I want you guys to consider something of greater value. I want you guys to have even greater joy for something that is eternal, for an even greater miracle that you have just witnessed. Rejoice that your names are in God's list in heaven. He wants their joy to be unshakable, grounded on something much greater. He doesn't want their joy to be vulnerable. He wants their joy to be invincible. And so perhaps the disciples were running the same risk we run at times, right? And the one that churches all across America have fallen prey to, and that is to move past the gospel. To think of the gospel as simply a doorway to greater things. Things like prosperity and self-fulfillment and ministerial success. As if these things are the primary basis of our joy. If they are, then our joy is vulnerable and ungrounded. Our joy needs to be grounded on the bedrock of one thing and one thing only. We are His. We are His. I don't know about you, but my name has never been on any good list. No honor roll list for me. 
No Santa's nice list for me. No VIP list for me. But in one thing I can rejoice, and that is in that in the heavenly archives, my name is present. And when the lion lamb of old, the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, takes roll call, my name he will call. That, Jesus says to us, is the bedrock of our joy. And Jesus reminds us of this bedrock as he himself breaks out in a proclamation of joy. And this proclamation takes us to our second and final point this morning. The invincible joy of Jesus. Now, I know I have told you guys many times that I love the way Jesus teaches and let me remind you again why. You see, I, I love preaching from the Gospels. And, and the reason why I love it is because we just, you know, Jesus just has a way of teaching hard heads like me the most beautiful of truths. And that is what he's doing here in verses 21 and 24. He, he is going to break out into what the original language describes as overflowing joy. Our Bibles translate it as him rejoicing in the spirit, but what still leaves us with some of, but, but that, that translation still leaves us with a little bit, a little ambiguous uh, picture. But in the Greek, the verb used here is one to communicate exuberant joy. And as we consider this exuberant joy that, that Jesus is about to proclaim, Jesus through his words is going to describe the source of his joy. And in doing so, he's describing to us the bedrock of our joy. Okay? There's three things I see in this next four verses. And these are the bedrock of our joy. So let's look at the first one in verse 21. Okay? He says this. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So what we see here is that at the very same hour, meaning immediately after he tells the disciples to rejoice in their names being written in heaven, he turns to the Father to thank him with joy. And the source of this thanksgiving is this. The number one thing we see, the joy of the Father's sovereign pleasure. You see, the first thing that causes Jesus to rejoice is the sovereign pleasure of the Father. What gave him joy? What was that that was happening that, that, that just made Jesus rejoice? You know what it was? It was that whatever was happening was pleasing the Father. It pleased the Father that he hid it from some and revealed it to others. Our Lord's favorite truth, our, our Lord's most joy-producing truth was the sovereignty of God. You see, in spite of all the rejection, in spite of all the pain, in spite of all the suffering and sadness and sorrow, men of sorrow, what a name, right? In spite of the tears that he wept and the agonizing grief over the condition of humanity, Jesus rejoiced gratefully because what was going on reflected the Father's intention, the Father's purpose, the Father's gracious will. 
And this gracious will has been manifested in that he has hidden these things. Now, what things? What's God hiding? Is he playing hide and go seek? Well, the very things that the 72 have experienced. The going forth of the gospel. The salvation of man. The rescuing from the kingdom of darkness. That's what things. And he has hidden them from the wise and understanding. And he has revealed them to little children. You see, the contrast that Jesus is making here, it's, it's, it's not between educated and uneducated people. I mean, reality is that many uneducated people are very opinionated and self-reliant when it comes to spiritual manners, right? It's not simply intelligent people who throw out the gospel. I mean, many stupid people reject the truth of the gospel. (laughs) And many intelligent people embrace it. You see, the contrast that Jesus is making here is between those who view themselves as wise in their own eyes. And those who are able to be as dependent and humble as children. The issue is not their IQ score. The issue is their pride. If it was the IQ score, we'd be toast. The contrast is between those who hear the words of Scripture and view them as foolish, as if their wisdom was superior than God's, and those who are humble enough to acknowledge that if they are to know anything, if they are to know anything about God and understand the wonder of His goodness towards them, they must not come by their own insight or their own intellect. They must come as little children. What a difference, huh? What a difference between Jesus' words and all the religions of the world. In every single man-made religion, including Christianese, there is an emphasis on what we must do or what we must merit, be it by our understanding or by our actions, but what makes Christ overflow with joy is that our names being written in heaven had nothing to do with our actions. It had nothing to do with our merits. It had nothing to do with our intellect, but it had everything to do with God's sovereign pleasure to look upon our blindness, to look upon upon our desperate state, and by His good will, reveal Himself to us. Brothers and sisters, what grace that the maker of heaven and earth would find pleasure in brats like us. Not just nice, beautiful little children, but brats, enemies, rebellious individuals. And if this wasn't enough for us to join Jesus in his joy, Jesus continues to ask to this joy by showing us the joy of the Son's power now unfortunately some of us will read verse 21 and instead of feeling the reality of our inability to merit any favor from God by Jesus' words we actually distort his words to puff ourselves up with self glory and we say you see You see, I'm a little children. I'm a little child. I came to God as a little child. That's the reason why God showed his favor on me. I'm a humble man, lash woman. 
And God was able to see that, and so he saved me. But Jesus will leave no room for that. Yes, there was a point in your coming to Christ where you were humbled to the point of seeing your need of Jesus. Yes, unlike many others who have rejected Jesus, you at one point in life received him with childlike faith. But what Jesus is about to show us is that all of that was not primarily an act of your choosing and power. But it was an act of his. Look with me to verse 22. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one... Let me repeat that again. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son, what? Chooses to reveal Him. My friends, the reason why there is any inclination towards God in your hearts this morning is not because somehow by your humble heart you ran to Him like a child. But because when you had no clue of who he was, Jesus, by the authority invested in him by the Father and by his saving power and choosing, revealed God to your heart. And in so doing, the irresistible grace of God brought you down your pride horse and to your knees. His unmerited favor broke your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh and and. And then your heart was filled with childlike faith. It was not our doing. It was his. Maybe God is doing that to you this morning. Maybe God is doing that to you this morning. And maybe the reason why you are sitting in this auditorium this morning is because God, by His sovereign pleasure and by His Son's power, is opening the eyes of your heart to an invincible joy, a sustaining reality that will change your life forever. Your job right now, your job right now, my friend, your job right now is to respond in your heart with childlike faith. But His job, is to enable you to do so by his power. My friends, that is good news. That is the gospel and the bedrock of our joy. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That being children of wrath, walking in the passions of this world like the rest of mankind, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. Jesus is rejoicing with great joy like none other time recorded in scripture as he sees the saving work of God for sinners like you and me. And after this great proclamation of joy to the father, he, he, he turns to the disciples privately. And he says to them, look with me, verses 23 and, 23 and 24, he says, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. 
For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. My friends, our joy, our joy needs to be grounded in the joy of the believer's privilege. Once again, I love our Lord. His, his tenderness amazes me. I, I, I can almost picture him with tears in his eyes, rejoicing in the work of God in these disciples and looking to them in their eyes and saying to them with genuine pleasure, I am so happy to see how blessed you are. The things that, you are, being, that are being revealed to you, others would have killed to have them been revealed to them. And so church, as we head out on the mission field, as we, as we look forward to what God is going to have us doing in his name, there is one thing that we can rejoice in that will, that, that will always be a certain thing. There is one joy that no one can take away from us. There is an invincible joy that surpasses all our circumstances, one that is not tied to the spiritual gifts we have received or the number of demons that we cast out or the size of the crowds that we gather or even the number of people that through our ministry learn about Christ. Our joy is now and forever through all eternity tied to the blessing that is knowing Christ the blessing of having his beauty and majesty and glory revealed to sinners like you and me this is our primary joy and the one that informs all our joys it will inform our suffering it will inform our successes So as we move forward, we do it in faith. We do it believing that God is going to do many miracles. Sovereign Grace Church Miami, Palm Vista Community Church, we are going to see our harvest like never before. We are going to see men and women be delivered from demonic oppression. We are going to see the sick healed and the broken restored. We are going to see young men and women be pure and love Christ. We are going to see... Marriages who have been savaged by sin come and restored and be put back in a place where they love their Savior and they love one another. We are going to see mighty things because we have a mighty God. We have the same God that the 72 followers had. He is sending us out the same way he sent them out. He has given us authority the same way he gave them authority. And he's given us the best thing to rejoice in. God is going to do wonderful things, my friends. And I want to share one of them that he's done. You remember that couple that I talked to you about at the beginning of the message? Well, you guys know who that couple is. That couple is the Sanchez's. And our God is a miracle-working God. And he has given them a great gift to conceive a child. 
my friends, we rejoice. And it is righteous for us to rejoice because our God has done that. It is righteous for us to give testimony of his greatness and his mercy and kindness towards us. And so we will rejoice. But our greatest joy, our greatest joy is that our names are written in heaven. And they will forever be there. Thank you, church.